As we get ourselves situated up here, I want to have you turn back to Genesis 39. I'm going to redo it. I feel like some of you weren't listening last week, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, no, I'm kidding. There's just we're going to we're going to go to a second part. Um, but I'm going to refresh on some of the stuff we went over last week, and then we'll jump into the end of Genesis 39 as we, as we study the life of Joseph. It's such a rad story. And I want to say this. Please let me encourage you that when we're reading the life of Joseph, that you're not taking it and turning him into some hero, biblical hero, that's different than you and far off from you, but that you would understand that Joseph is a man, human, just like we are human, and that it was his interaction with the Lord that allowed him to be able to walk out the things that he walked out. So be encouraged in that. When we're studying someone like Joseph, we're allowing his testimony to bear fruit thousands of years later. And how powerful is that? I also want to remind you, uh, if, you're, if you financially partner with us, um, we, we so appreciate that. You can always um, put your gift uh, into the black box. It's over here. Uh, you can do that online for the month of February. We, we love that partnership that we get to have with you. Uh, also remember that on Wednesday nights, we have youth group going, and we have our third, fourth, and fifth grade group going every single week, and then every other week, we have our abide, our worship, and intercession night, and we would love for you guys to, to come out and to be a part of those, and um, so you can get all that information online at lwrv.org. Okay, let me see everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Awesome, awesome. All right, so Genesis 39. We're going to go through this, and then I'm going to ask you a few questions at the end, not in a test. Nobody panic. I'm not a good test taker. Uh, nobody panic, but we're going to have some questions at the end that hopefully helps us apply some of what Joseph demonstrated with his life in Genesis 39. And so we titled this series, From the Pit to the Palace. For those of you that know the story of Joseph, he was a young man who was highly favored by his father. His brothers became jealous. They threw him into a pit. They beat him up, threw him into a pit. They ended up selling him, and he became a servant in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife got eyes for Joseph, accused him of some things. He ended up in prison. And then out of prison, God elevated him into a place of seconding authority over all of Egypt. And so from the pit, from the prison, did I say from the pit to the palace? From the prison to the palace. From the pit to the prison to the palace to Potiphar to, okay, you get the idea. So how is it that Joseph was able to do this? How did he walk it out where he, would, he went from being rejected by his family, beaten, thrown into a pit, all the way to having his heart right so that when he came to a place of authority, he didn't abuse that authority to exact revenge or to ruin anybody else's life, but he had that Genesis 50, 20 moment, which is the key verse that we're studying, where he stood before his brothers, the ones who betrayed him, and they came all the way to Egypt in this place of great need, and he could have punished them. He could have had them killed. He could have done anything to him. But the truth of how he stewarded his heart, stewarded his heart was seen in that moment. And in that moment, he chose to forgive his brothers. And God was able to bring salvation to not only to his family, but to his nation because of how he stewarded his heart through all of this journey. But how did Joseph do it? 
As we've studied this story, as I've prayed through these scriptures, this is what keeps standing out to me, is that how Joseph's relationship with his father formed him and how he had a dream that oriented him. He had a dream that gave him a purpose. So through all of the ups and downs, the, the imprint of his father remained, of his family, and then that vision that he had where God gave him dreams at a young age, he held on to those, and those carried him through into every single moment that he was able to to traverse so much ups and downs. He had that identity and he had that purpose that carried him and it stood up to the tests that he was put under. And you guys know this, right? It's one thing to think that we're doing really well. It's one thing to think that like, oh, I've done all the inner healing. I've done all the work. I've done, it's one thing to think that we're doing good or we know who we are. That's so 2019, But I would bet that who you thought you were in 2019 is totally different than who you think you are after going through 2020. When you, when things impact you and affect you, your theories about, oh, I believe this about myself and I have this vision for my life, but then a train wreck happens and it's so easy to lose that sense of identity and it's so easy to lose that sense of purpose. But Joseph had such a deep sense of identity and purpose that even when hard things hit, when 2020 hit him over and over and over and over, I'm going to turn it into a phrase that we use. When it hit him over and over and over, it in fact revealed the depths that he was willing to go to hold on to his purpose and hold on to his identity. And he carried that dream and he carried that purpose. So our dream, we're talking about dreams and him having a dream. And I would say this, the dream that we're living for, that you and I are living for, it determines how much we're willing to endure to have it take place. Between you and your dream being fulfilled, how many rough spots are you able to endure before you give up on it? Before, from where you are now to the dream that God has put on your life, how many setbacks are you willing to go through before you say, no, forget it. I don't think that was what God was asking me to do. I don't know if that was the dream that he has for my life. But if you are sold out to what God has said, this is who you are and this is what I've created you for, you will go through so much because you'll stay oriented on that dream on that purpose that God has for you. And I know what you're saying now. Okay, so you're, Ryan, you're talking about dreams and I have to have a dream and God has to give me a dream. And doesn't that seem like super selfish? Are we one of those churches where everything is focused on us and not focused on Jesus? Come on, it's all about my dream? No. Look, you're right. If our dream is about us being fulfilled, us being comfortable, us having notoriety, us having success, if that's the result of our dream, then absolutely, we are way off the map. But what we're really saying is that you have had this experience with God through his word, through your personal time, through worship, through whatever it is, through hiking out in the woods, that you have had this place where God has begun to instill in you something that says, it is for my glory and for my purposes that you are alive. What does it look like for you to live out your life in a way that brings glory to God? That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a dream that's going to drive you through the most difficult of circumstances. Look at Philippians. Philippians 3, Paul says this, after going through all kinds of hardship, 
planting churches, being a missionary, seeing people healed, seeing revival taking place everywhere he goes. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is God calling you heavenward in? What is he saying to you in specific ways? You are unlike anyone else in this room. We've said this before. I'm not saying you're a weirdo. Don't take it personally. You are unlike anyone else in this room, which means you carry God's grace in a way that nobody else carries it. You carry his love in a way that nobody else carries it. You have access to people and places that no one else in this room has access to. You have relationships with people that nobody else has. You are uniquely positioned and created for God's purpose and his glory. And he has called you to Jesus. And he is continuing to call you heavenward with a dream that would put you on a a journey that says, no matter what I have to walk through, I know who I am and I know why I'm here. And I'm going to encounter setbacks. And I'm going to encounter hardships. And I'm going to be okay. And that's how Joseph walked through this, through his life so powerfully. We do have to check often to make sure that the dream we're living isn't our personal dream. Okay? Because God's dream for our life, 100% of the time, his plans and purpose and dream for your life will trump your plan and purpose for your life 100% of the time. And we have to live with a humility that says, God, I want what you desire. And I want to know who I am, not so that I can be prideful in me, but I want to, be know, I want to know who I am and who you see me as, as a father. When you see me as a son and you say, son, these are the gifts I've given you. These are the places I've all asked you to go. That's how I want to see myself. And that's how we want to have that place of relationship with God that takes us out of dreaming of comfort and financial provision and, and, and being known. We want to let go of all that stuff and just say, God, I want to be known in heaven for somebody who lives fully for you, no matter what setback comes my way. And so Joseph was formed by his father. He was oriented to a dream. But how did this play out practically? Here, let me go back through some of the things that we looked at last week before we jump forward in the passage. So Genesis 39. How does it work out practically? Joseph lived out his faith tangibly and visibly. In 39.3, we see Joseph, and it says that when Potiphar saw that God blessed everything and had favor on Joseph, he raised him to a place of authority in his house. Potiphar was able to see Joseph living out his faith in his relationship with knowing who he was and what he was called to do. He remained steadfast to that, and because of that, God blessed him. So he was living it out tangibly. Of course, he had every right to say, forget you guys. I don't want any blessing to come to this house. I'm a servant here. What do I care? I'm going to drag my feet. You ask me to do something, it should take me 10 minutes. I'm going to make it take an hour. (laughs) You want me to do this? I'm going to do it to the least of my ability. Instead, Joseph said, I will go because I'm living for God and for a dream and for a purpose. I'm not living for you. And because of that, God blessed him and he raised him up. So Joseph lived out his faith tangibly and visibly. Joseph overcame temptation. Potiphar's wife, you guys know the story. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. But Joseph's standard was set by God, not by circumstances, not by culture, and not by what he deserved. He deserved probably to take whatever he wanted and whatever he could get. 
He'd lost everything. His mother, early in life, he lost his mother. He lost his father, his family, his inheritance. He was alone in a foreign land. He'd been made a servant. He had every justification to do whatever he wanted to do. So why didn't he? Genesis 39, 9 says this. When he was presented with this temptation, Joseph said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, he didn't measure his actions against all the wrong that he had endured. He didn't justify it by saying, this happened to me, therefore I deserve this thing. He didn't measure his actions by the culture around him. Instead, he looked to God, and his measuring stick for righteousness was God and what God said, who, this is who you are, and this is how you should live it out. We hear this phrase in culture right now, what about-ism, right? What about? What about? What about them? What about them? What about them? This is so alive in my house. I, I have three sons and a daughter, and I tell one of them, I say, you need to stop doing this thing, and you need to start doing this thing. And they look at me, and they go, well, what about Ezra? He does it all the time. And I'm like, son, I don't care. In this moment, I don't care what anybody else is doing because they're not determining your behavior. You have a choice for yourself about who you're going to be and how you're going to walk it out. And I'm expecting that you would do it in this way. Well, what about? What about? What about? But we see it in culture too. When God says, this is how I want you to live in the midst of all the stuff that's going on around us in 2020 and 2021, we can look around and go, well, what about this? Why do they get to do this, and why do they get to live this way, and why do they get to say those things, and I don't get to say any of those? Right. Because they're not setting your standard for behavior. God is, and his word is, already, has already taught us how to walk through these years that we're in right now. We don't go to a talk show host. We don't go to a newspaper. We don't go to an opinion. We don't go to anybody else. Not what about. He's already told us how to walk through the most difficult of times. And we get to stay in allegiance to that instruction, not to be changing all the time based on culture or what's going on around us, right? Joseph didn't look to culture. He didn't look to what's going on around him. He didn't make excuses. He didn't play the victim card. He just said, I can't take part in this temptation. Why? Because it would be a sin against God's expectation over my life. That's the standard that he lived up to. Joseph took the way out of temptation. How did it walk out practically? He took the, wa the way out of temptation. He left his cloak and he fled. He took his cloak off in th Genesis 39, 12, and he ran away from Potiphar's wife. The choice that, G that Joseph made to resist temptation was emphatic. He didn't, he didn't flirt with temptation. He fundamentally believed. He fundamentally believed that what he would find in pursuing God and his righteousness was more valuable than what he would find in giving in to temptation. And because of that, he was able to flee when temptation came, right? We talked about last week, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I won't break it all the way down for you because we did last week. You can check it out. But this is what it says. God is faithful. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Joseph took that way out, even leaving behind the evidence that would be used to frame him. He just was like, forget about it. I am out of here because I'm living to a different level of righteousness, Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangled, entangles us. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The question for us is this, what is it that sets our standard for behavior? The answer, what we have our eyes on. 
And if I have my eyes on other people, if I have my eyes on culture, if I have my eyes on anything other than Jesus, when the rubber hits the road and temptation comes, I might find myself looking to them for how I should behave instead of looking to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I believe that even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant time, that Joseph had that reality in his heart. And he said, I want to look to God to be the one who helps me out of this temptation. So Joseph was more committed to God than this perfect or preferred outcome. Genesis 39, 20. What was his reward for doing right, for resisting temptation? Congratulations, you get a one-way ticket to prison. Yay. So for doing the right thing, I end up in a worse place? Wait, God, I thought in your economy is that if I check every box and do everything right, that I end up in a better place in life. It's not always the case. And what we see in Joseph is that he was more committed to doing it God's way than he was of figuring out how to advance himself and make things easier for his life. Another thing that Jesus or that Joseph did is that he stayed engaged even in the most difficult of times and he kept his heart right and God honored him and elevated him in Potiphar's house and he elevated him in the prison as well. Why? How do we know this? Then he kept his heart right because we see in that moment in Genesis 50, 20, which we'll talk about more in just a second, is that he wasn't filled with bitterness or revenge. It's so powerful to watch how people respond when they have power over those that they're angry with or upset with. When we have power over someone who's wronged us, when we have a chance to get that person back and we've been waiting 20 years since high school and they called me and you're, you have a chance to get them back, how do you act towards that person? the person who hurt you, who hurt your family, who whatever it is. When Joseph had that moment, what came out of his heart was the fact that he had stewarded his heart through every difficult time so that the softness of forgiveness is what poured out of him. God knew that he could trust Joseph's heart and Joseph's life, and that's why he was able to continually move him. No matter what happened, he was always able to continually moving him into those places of authority. So when we look at this story of Joseph, when we look at this Genesis 50, 20 moment, and that verse is our core verse, I don't want us to miss this. That moment when Joseph was standing before his brothers was not a, 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 a foreordained conclusion. It wasn't predetermined. It was because Joseph walked out this journey that he was able to have that Genesis 50, 20 moment. He had to do his part. Listen, he had to work as if unto the Lord in Potiphar's house. He had to resist temptation. He had to remain spiritually aware enough to interpret dreams, which we'll talk about next week. He had to stay humble. He had to reject bitterness. How many chances did he have to become bitter at all the things that were happening? He could have so easily ejected himself from God's plan, but he didn't. And that's the beautiful thing. He could have gone into survival mode. I don't know if any of you have been tempted in 2020 to go into survival mode. Uh, yeah, it's where we just start shutting things down little by little. Oh, don't need that anymore. Boom. And I can survive without that. Boom. And before we know it, we're living in that survival mode. Joseph could have done that, but instead he stayed fully engaged with the process and the plan that God had spoken to his life as a young teenager. And he stayed committed to that and he walked it out in a powerful way. 
See, his faith and, and that 50-20 moment when he was able to stand before his brothers and say, what you intended to harm, God is using for good. The reason that that took place is because he was, he was participating in the journey. It wasn't that he stood aside and let God do everything. It's that he stepped in with God and God was able to use him and meet him in his place, in that place to keep his heart soft. So I say this, faith that takes no action, that just waits on God to wave his magic wand over the circumstances that we want fixed, that is no faith at all. The things that you want to see changed, the things that you want to see fixed, the things that you want to see coming, having a different outcome, that is God willingly inviting you to participate with him in those places, not saying, get to the sideline, let me take care of this for you. Because faith that just exists like this and doesn't require us to step out at all is not a faith that is growing or alive. To see the worth in someone the opposite of standing on the sideline, but to step in and see the worth in someone or the opportunity in difficulty or the dream in the dark of night or to see, the, see this, this storm that could be breaking or, or a harvest in the seed that I was talking about this morning. When you can look at a seed and see not just a seed, but a harvest, then you step in and you see those things and you do something about it. That is faith in action, not faith that is passive. How could Joseph stand before his brothers later in his life and forgive them? How could he possess the authority and power to save an entire nation of people? Because of how he responded when he was mocked, demeaned, canceled, beaten, and sold. Because of how he responded in a secret moment of temptation years earlier in Potiphar's house. Because of how he responded in that moment when he realized that he was being thrown into prison. Let me say this again. How could Joseph stand before his brothers later in life and forgive them? How could he possess the authority and the power to save an entire nation of people? Because of how he responded in a secret moment of temptation that nobody even saw or knew about. That's his heart condition that allowed God to use him powerfully. And I wish with all of my heart that every single one of us would get a hold of that and we would never diminish a single moment of obedience and opportunity that exists in our life. It's when we begin to downplay the importance of the small things that our life begins to crumble. Because we're always saying, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll nail it when the big thing comes. No, what God is looking for is people who will stay focused on the small things and say, God, maybe nobody knows in this moment, but I know. Maybe no one's gonna see me in this moment, but, but I know you see me. And that we would never diminish a single moment that we have to honor God and to trust him with our lives and trust him for his outcomes. couple final thoughts that I want to give you as we wrap up Genesis 39. Here's what I see in Joseph. Joseph trusted God's plan. Those small decisions I was just talking about of Joseph stewarding his heart that impacted the outcome of his story so powerfully. It wasn't the big moments that he had to figure out. Now stay with me for just a second. Some of us overthink our lives to the point where we are trapped in indecision because somewhere, going back to religious detox, somewhere along the line you were taught that God is just so disappointed in you that thankfully Jesus 
Jesus came and got you right back up to the edge of God liking you like 51%. But if you, if you screw up, you're going to be back down to 47%. And before you know it, you're going to be back down at 30%. And we have this religious perspective that we have to make every decision correctly or we're going to screw up our life. And then the enemy uses that fear to heap shame and guilt on us for every bad thing that happens. And then we start to walk around going, oh man, this is struggling. This is happening to this person. This thing's going on because of something I did. And we live in bondage instead of freedom. And Jesus is like, I didn't come to bring you back into 51% of the Father's love. I came as the Father's love to be poured out for you and around you and upon you that you would never doubt And that as you stand before me, you are holy and blameless without a single fault. And yet here we are thinking at every intersection in our life that we have to get the right decision. Should I take that job? Should I call that person? Should I do this thing? Should I do this thing? Oh, geez, I just don't know. What if I get it wrong? And what if in getting it wrong, I screw up everything and the universe collapses into a black hole because of my bad decision? Right? This is how we live. But think about Joseph's life. He didn't get any of those opportunities to make those big decisions. They were all taken for him. He was property. And yet God still used him powerfully, brought him from property to second in command in the palace. He didn't have, Joseph didn't have to make a single decision, a big decision of like, man, should I go to prison or should I stay in Potiphar's house? I don't know. Let me pray about it. Should I eat this for dinner or should I not eat this for dinner? Should I be friends with that person or not? I don't know. What if I screw it all up? He didn't get the luxury of making those decisions because they were already made for him. So what decision then did matter? It was the small decisions to steward his heart. Somebody needs to hear this in this room today. Look, it's not about which way you decide at every single intersection you come to. It's how you walk the road with Jesus between the intersections that matters about where your life ends up. It's how you walk. Too many of us are standing at forks of the road for 20 years, for 10 years, for five years, for two months, for two weeks, and you're not sure what the heck to do. And all I'm going to tell you is live in allegiance with Jesus and pick a way. Because his faithfulness to you is greater than your indecision. It's greater than your ability to make the right decision. It's his faithfulness to you. You're a son. You're a daughter. And he's like, hey, would you stop standing here and just get moving? And steward your life towards me in the in-between. And watch what I can do with a heart that's fully surrendered and fully committed to me. You'd be maybe shocked where you end up at the next intersection. Trust his plan. Trust his timing. Another detail that the Lord keeps showing me in this story as I study the life of Joseph is how God orchestrated the timing of these events. And he wove this beautiful display out of this story into something that showed the faithfulness of God to everyone around him. While Joseph was in the pit, the right slave traders were coming. Right? You never think I'd say that phrase. But somehow, the right people were coming to purchase him, to bring him to the right place. 
While he was in Potiphar's house resisting temptation, the events of the world were conspiring to bring the Israelites out of famine into a time in Egypt. And he was orchestrating these events while Joseph was, was wondering, why am I rotting in a jail cell? God was at work. Sometimes we look at our life and we get so focused on it that we forget that when we don't see God working right here, that he's also working all of this at the same time. And we're like, hey God, if I could get a little work over here. And he's like, just hold on a second. I'm trying to get everything orchestrated. I didn't mean to give you a picture of God being super stressed because he's not. But you get what I'm saying. God was using all of this to get Joseph into the palace. The problem is, is that he brought Joseph into like the bottom floor of the palace, right? Oh, I'm going to the palace. Really, where are you going to be? The dungeon. Oh, yeah, no, that seems great. I'm sure that's really close to those dreams you had of your, your father and your brothers all kneeling down to you. Yeah, you're, you're definitely on the right track. How many times have we looked at what's happening in our life and we tell God, hey, God, I'm actually getting further from what I feel like you're asking me to do here. Does anybody else recognize the fact that I'm supposed to be in the palace and now I've got a suite in the dungeon? But here's the reality of your journey with God is that often what you say is further from the place that you're supposed to be is actually getting you closer to the place you're supposed to be. Joseph could never have figured it out of saying, oh, I'm gonna get thrown into prison for resisting temptation, accused of rape and thrown into prison. Great, I feel like I'm really close now. But he was one moment away from being brought into his full purpose in God. And so, yeah, you can look at your life today and say, why am I here? I'm so far away, God. But it's all about perspective. Your perspective is that you're stuck in a dungeon. And God's perspective is is that it's one door opening before you're exactly where you're supposed to be. We have to live with that kind of perspective or we begin to get completely discouraged in every moment and everything that turns down when we feel like we're supposed to be going up. And I would say this, your, your prison, this circumstance that you find yourself in, how you steward your heart through it is going to determine how God is able to use you on the other side of it. God is always at work and his timing must be trusted. Who fast forwarded the clock again? Okay, so as we're trusting his timing, I want to say this, don't equate delay to defeat. Just be encouraged today. You are not defeated because you're delayed. You may know where you think that God, you're going to tell God where you're supposed to be. And you may not like his timing or what's happening. And you may be delayed in that, but you are not defeated. When you are delayed, it is often something where God says, hold on just a minute. Don't step out in front of that moving traffic. Let's it go by. And then says, now is your opportunity to step forward. We don't know what our Father is doing, but I want you to understand that just because something is delayed in your life, don't count it as a place of defeat. Count it as a place of offering that you can bring that place in worship and lay it back before him and say, even when it costs me something, I worship you and I trust you with my life. Why? Because he is a God of patience. And his dreams and purposes for your life include his timing. You are responsible for your heart 
And you are responsible for your responses. You are not responsible for the outcomes. He is. So, to recap Joseph in chapter 39. How did he walk this out? He lived a visible faith. He let God set his standard. He ran from temptation. He lived for a purpose and not perfect outcomes. He participated instead of being passive, and he kept his heart right. He trusted God's plan, and he trusted God's timing. I have some questions that I want to ask you guys, but here's what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to post them online for us to be able to to engage in these throughout the week because we are not Sunday-centric. The theme and the purpose of this week is to unpack Genesis 39. So I'm gonna post some of these questions. You guys can have them and work your way through them that you would look at them. Now look, last thing, 10 seconds. When I ask and send you these questions to reflect on the life of Joseph like this, do you live your life of faith where it is unmistakable and people can see it? When I ask you a question like that, I'm not asking you that question so that you'll change your behavior. Religion wants you to change your behavior. But if you just change your behavior and you don't ask the question why, then that behavior is simply going to find another outlet in a different part of your life. So when we're talking about how letting God's spirit visit us and ask these kinds of questions, it has to be not just do I do that and how do I change? No, do I do that and why? Let the change happen after revelation of why you do those things. And in relationship, you'll see yourself changing deeply. Okay, I love you guys. Have an amazing Sunday. Enjoy the week. It's going to be 70 degrees. Come on. Burn it out. All right. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for coming with us online. We love you.